Uh, I'm excited about today's word. I was telling Janie, uh, this is the seventh of the seven signs of Jesus in this sermon series. And um, uh, some of them have just ministered to me, but this might be my favorite, this one right here. And, and that's, that's a tough one because she's, well, I really like number one and maybe number three. And, but this one here, I think if you can grab it today, uh, can be life-changing. It changed my life. I have my notes. I always, I always type them out. I'm very organized. I type my notes out. I usually put them in my Bible, and then I go through them so many times that I memorize them. And then the Lord, uh, the Lord felt like I was censoring on the wrong point <laughs> this week. And so, because this is a really common story, and so Monday night, about three in the morning, he gave me uh, his notes. Now, his notes are better than my notes, okay? And so I wrote them down, and I'm going to go off of his notes. But again, every night this week, about three in the morning, for about 45 minutes, I have gone over his notes in my head and in my spirit, and I just feel like this is really something that may change your life. It may rock your world. It may give you hope. It may give you a distance, because the seventh sign is one that we, we we've all know. It's a story we know, but when we go through the signs of turning water into wine, of the healing of the blind, the healing of the lame, we see the calming of the storm. We see that Jesus changes matter, okay, where he turned water into wine. He, he changed nature. He calmed a storm. He, he, you know, he healed a blind person. He, he, uh, he, he healed a lame person. He, he cleansed the temple. He does all these things. And, and we know this is, today we'll talk about uh, Lazarus coming forth. And I know it's an important as it is, it's a story that maybe you all know, but there's, there's kind of a sentence or two in there that I want to pick out, that I want to just dig into that, that says, wait a second, if, if Jesus did this for this person, Jesus can do it then for us. And it may not be the raising or calling forth of Lazarus, it may be something else that I touch on uh, today. So we're going to come out of John's gospel, the seventh Psalm is the healing of Lazarus, and it's about change. So just so you know, I believe that the Lord wants to change us. I think he wants to change you. He wants to change me. He wants to change Grace Church. He wants to change our community. So it's about change. So John, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 4, then we'll jump to 17 and read through 20. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Stop, pause there for a second. John, because he's writing this 30 years after the fact, gets this a little bit out of order. This actually hasn't happened yet, but he's letting you know what Mary this is. And we learn the very next chapter, the very first start of chapter 12, that it's then at that time, six days later, that Mary actually does this. Or actually, it's two days later, six days before the Passover. So it's important to know because as it fits into my message, we're going to talk about Mary just a little bit, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay, so Mary and Martha, you understand? So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Kind of putting a little pressure on. Hey, it's like, God, Jesus, you don't love the other ones, but you love our brother and he's sick. Would you come heal him? I think sometimes we try to pray manipulative prayers. Lord, I went to church this week. I, I, I pay my tithes this week. Lord, you have to help me, right? Jesus wants to help you. Jesus wants, don't try to condemn Jesus, amen? Don't, don't, try to, don't try to knock Jesus down. He loves you or he wouldn't have died for you, amen? 
All right, so, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Powerful statement, by the way. Important that we know that Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen in your life. He knows what's going to happen here. And he wants us to do things that bring glory, honor, and praise to the Father. Amen? I think we go to verse 17 or so now. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Think about that for a second. It's almost like John is implying, wait a second, Jesus waited a day too long. It's like, oh man, I wish, I probably should have been there. Now this is not only a miracle, this is going to be like, this This could be a catastrophe until the miracle takes place. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, for how good you are and the people that have needs through this time and through this virus and through layoffs and through uh, hesitancy and uh, expectation and nervousness. Father, we just pray that you calm them, Lord, and be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know the story. Uh, it's, a, it's a common story. So Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and as they're talking, he knows Lazarus is ill. He knows Lazarus is sick, and he s- explains carefully that he's going to be, uh, God's going to be glorified through the work that Jesus does, and God always wants to be glorified through the work that we do, and if it doesn't bring God glory, then maybe we're not doing the right kind of work, and so it's important to know, even in our walk and our testimony and our work uh, with people, that we're always giving God glory. We're not taking any glory that belongs to the Father, and so his disciples are, they're kind of in and out. They're not they're not, they don't totally get it all the time. I think he, he, he had a bunch of misfits that he groomed and made men of God. But so in the conversation that we didn't read, he's talking back and forth with the disciples about how, uh, you know, it's going to be okay. They're going to, uh, Lazarus is just, he's just sleeping. He's going to be glorified. And then the uh, disciples are like, okay, well, it's going to be all right. We can take our time getting there. And then Jesus is like, well, no, wait a second. He's actually dead. And the disciples are like, no, I thought you said he was asleep. And so they're talking back and forth with Jesus. And then so finally, Jesus says, hey, let's go over to Bethany. It's a two-mile walk, you know, probably, you know, 30 minutes or so away, maybe 35 minutes. It's not real far. They walk down to Bethany, and all of a sudden, then the Mar- Martha knows and hears that Jesus is coming. And she does that, that one thing that sometimes we do, uh, Lord, if you would have been here, Lord, if you would have heard my prayer, Lord, if you would have been the God that you say you are. Lord, if you, and it's the word, it's the big if, right? And Lord, if you would have been right here, my brother would have been made whole. And Martha, uh, Martha says uh, this and, and uh, kind of blames uh, the Lord. And the Lord says, wait a second, Martha, you know, I'm the resurrection of life. Your, your brother's going to live again. And it's like, yeah, I understand that in the last days he will be raised up. And no, and the Bible says Jesus wept. And I wonder if Jesus wept not because Lazarus died. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the glory that was going to take forth. I wonder if Jesus wept just because of the lack of faith that takes place. And I wonder if Jesus is still kind of weeping today sometimes where, hey, he's given us faith. He's given us hope. He's given us trust. He's given us belief. He's given us confidence. He's given us, and we sang it this morning, he's given us authority to call those things that aren't as though they are. Why don't we use it, Grace Church? 
Why don't we start to call those things out? Amen? Why don't we start to be impactful in our life where we say, no, we don't have to have it that way. We can start to speak those things into existence. And Mary comes and the same thing happens. Lord, have you been here? And just can't believe that you didn't happen. And so Jesus goes to the tomb, and there's a, in the tomb there's a there's a big rock, okay. And he says to remove the remove the stone. And there's three things in Scripture that Jesus basically, and there's more, but there's three I want to concentrate on for a moment today. There's three things in Scripture that Jesus removes that I think he either wants us to remove or he gives us the power to remove. So by the way, remember signs in the Greek is simia. S-E-M-I-A, simia, and it means three things. It means authority, authentic, uh, authenticity, and it means miracles. So here, here's the thing. So Jesus, if you remember right, uh, when he was walking and Jairus came, comes up and says, would you come heal my daughter? The daughter was around 12 years old. She lies sick in the bed. And while he's going to Jairus' house, uh, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, totally broke, tried every doctor, tried every cure, couldn't get there, comes up and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and now she's made heal whole, and Jesus says, who's touched me? And his disciples are looking and say, King James says, there's a throng of people around you, Lord. There's a, there's a ton of people. What do you mean people are touching you? Somebody touched me with faith. Yeah, but somebody touched me with faith. See, you can still touch Jesus with faith today. I mean, you can, in your prayer, we sing it every Sunday about praying, about worshiping, about authority. We pray about all, all this, and yet sometimes it just becomes empty words. But that person who steps up and all of a sudden it becomes full of faith, they touch the throne room of grace. They touch the master. And so then uh, he says, so he heals the, the lady with the issue of blood. In fact, he, she's already made whole. Your faith has made you whole. They go to Jairus' daughter's house. And on, on the way, uh, some of the people came up, well-meaning people. We'll talk about well-meaning people. Sometimes you've got to remove well-meaning people from your life. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll talk about it in just a second. Okay, some people mean well, but they're not God. God wants you to be supernatural. God wants you to go over and above. So well-meaning people came up and, hey, it's no, it's no big deal right now. Uh, Jesus, Jarius, uh, you know, your daughter's dead. We're sorry to tell you that. And Jesus says, no, the damsel's not dead. The damsel's just asleep. And the Bible said in King James Version that they laughed him to scorn. Think about that. And maybe sometimes, just like Sarah did, we laugh at the miracle that God has in place for us. And we shouldn't laugh at God. Amen? Amen? Big deal there. So Jesus goes to the house, and what's he do? He removes all the doubt from the place. In fact, he removed all the doubters. He took in Peter, James, and John, three, himself, Jesus, that's four, took in Jarius and the mom, and of course the, the young 12-year-old girl was there. Now, I don't know how you would feel if your 12-year-old daughter lay dead on the bed, but you sure wouldn't want doubt in the room. Amen? When Janie was in the hospital six years ago, that's one of the things that we did. I, I had a few people, I think, that got mad at me. I did not want pity. I did not want doubt. She didn't want pity. She didn't want doubt. So we didn't let hardly anybody come up to see her because we didn't want the self-pity. We needed prayers that were activated in the, head, in the heavenlies. We needed prayers that God would answer. We didn't need things fighting against each other. Well, I'm so sorry, man. She's not going to make it. It's going to be bad. No, she's not. We needed to be able to concentrate. If Jesus had to remove doubt in his life, he's given you the authority, Simea, to remove the doubt in your life as well. You have to remove doubt in your life. 
You, if, you, if you remove doubt in your life, you activate faith. If you keep doubt in your life, you activate unbelief. And so Jesus removed the doubt. Is what he do? He speaks to the damsel. He speaks to the, the young girl. And boom, she's, she's up. Now he, he says the very, what I love to hear Jesus say, now give her something to eat. Go give her an ice cream sundae. Give her a chocolate eclair. Give her spaghetti and meatballs. Give her a fillet. Give her, just give her something. Give her an apple. Give her an orange. Give her a fig. Give her, give her something to eat. He removed the doubt in his life. When Jesus goes into the temple, we learned about it a couple weeks ago when we talked about the cleansing of the temple, that Jesus is knocking over all of the money changers and all, the, all of the, 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 the lambs and the goats and the oxen who were blind and they were disfigured and formed and the people who were selling them so they could make interest off them. He, moved, he removed the imitators from there because Jesus wants true worship for you in your life. And sometimes when we come in and if we don't like a song or if we don't like a, a version of the song or we don't, uh, why do I have to stand during worship? It's almost a cheap imitation. Or if we allow the worship team to drag us kicking and pulling into worship instead of us just being jacked up and fired up when we got here. See, Jesus doesn't want cheap imitation worship. He wants authentic worship. He wants us to be authentic in what we have. And the first thing, Jesus gave us the authority, the simia. The second thing is he gives us the authenticity to be able to become true worshipers. The true worship, God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. That's the authenticity of the worship that God has for us. Now think about that for a second because that's important. When you were called a son or daughter of God, you were also called to return to fellowship with through redemptive power to worship the King of Kings. Can you take five seconds and worship the King for a second? Just take five seconds and worship the master. Oh, he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be glorified. He's worthy even, even though things might not be the way you want it. He's given you the power. And praise comes before the breakthrough. Pray, I, all I did was praise him. All I did was sing in our house. You, you can hear singing all the time. Janie's always practicing. We have a little piano room. She's always practicing on the piano. And it's not like it's practice. It's like it's war. Are you with me? It's not like it's practice. Like, like, she, like some people just don't have to practice. Some people just go to war. And it becomes war. Why? Because it's not imitation. It's not a program. It's not a song list. It's not, how are we going to do battle this week? I'm so thankful for Grace's praise and worship team because they get it. They understand. I'm so grateful for Grace's church because they get it. We're not just worshiping a song that we like. We're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of all glory, the bright morning star and the lily of the valley. We're worshiping the creator of the universe who holds this whole world in the palm of his hands but knows the number of hair on your head. And I, for one, make it easy for him. But the, and the third thing that Jesus removes is this stone. Now hear me, because I, 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 think, uh, I think several things have taken place that Martha says, wait a second, Jesus, by now he stinks. Like, I, I think you would have been okay when he was still laying in the bed like the little damsel. I think you'd been okay if he was just blind or impaired. I think you'd been okay if he wasn't able to walk. I think you'd been all right there, but, but now we've buried him. I mean, like, he's, he's behind the stone, and, and Jesus says, remove the stone. In other words, Jesus says, remove the excuses from your life. When you remove excuses, you'll start to see miracles. 
Hear me. When you, I'll say it one more time. When you remove excuses, you'll start to see miracles. It's not like, well, I think that will happen, but, you know, it's a bad economy. I think that will happen, but, you know, it's, we got a lot of social unrest. I think that will happen, but, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in the COVID. We're in, we're in a crisis. No, God can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to. All he needs is you to open the door of faith and allow him and remove the excuse and say, but God, but God. You just need a teacher that says, but God, but God can do anything. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing at all. And he, and he removed, and he, right there, he says, remove the stone. Remove the stone. And what's he do? He says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Now, I want to go back. I think it's verse 20. Jason, if we can go to John 11 and 20. And let me read it one more time because here's the part that the Lord gave me uh, to share with you today that I think is just, it's, it's incredible when we get it. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. <laughs> Mary remained seated in the house. I think Mary was seated, silent, and stunned because her brother passed away. When I was eight years old, my uh, brother Michael, who is 11 years older than me, he's, he's the oldest boy in our family. My sister Terry is the oldest in our family. Uh, I'm the youngest. And so it's Terry, Michael, Tommy, Marty, Frankie, Ricky, Mark. And sometimes my dad would literally say that while he was trying to get to my name. He's like, he would say all of them, Frankie, Marty, Ricky. And then all of a sudden, you know, like a, I need a name tag or something. That's, that's Mark. So when I was eight, Michael moved out. He was 19 years old. He, he, uh, he got an apartment, got a job. He moved out. And uh, I never uh, really was able to cultivate the relationship with him that, that you would like to as a younger brother. I cultivated good relationships with my other brothers. They were in the house. And Michael, I never was able to cultivate that relationship. So I was eight. He was 19. When I was 21, and he was... Uh, 32, uh, he moved then out of our uh, of our city. He moved to Des Moines, Iowa, and then he moved to Grand Island, then he moved to four or five different states. He moved around because of jobs and whatnot. And again, as a young adult, wanting to cultivate relationships with the, with the people in my family, especially the older siblings, I, I was unable to because now he, he moved away. And then we moved down here, and, and Michael actually lived in, in North Carolina. He was working in Memphis, Tennessee, but he lived in North Carolina. That's one of, the, one of his landing spots. And his wife uh, lived in North Carolina, and they would split every other week, and she would go to Memphis, Tennessee, and then he would come to Lumberton, North Carolina, back and forth until he was two years from retirement. And then seven years ago, uh, Michael died. He passed away. And, and it was like I, I, I thought maybe, I don't, I don't know that we would have become, you know, that relationship like I, I thought. But maybe in North Carolina we would go golfing or we would stop and see or we would do different things. But still that relationship hadn't been cultivated. And I sat. I remember the phone call. My brother Frank called me. It was a Sunday night and it was late, about midnight Eastern time. And he, and he said, hey, Michael passed away. And I was, I was stunned. I was silent, and all I could do was sit on the edge of our bed. And Janie's like, what, what happened? Oh, thank you. I don't need him, but thank you. 
thank you. What happened? And I said, Mike died. What happened? I said, I don't know. Frank, Frank wasn't sure. We're, we'll, we'll, know, we'll know more tomorrow. And when we woke up the next day, um, we thought it was maybe a dream. Did that really happen? Did that, did that call really take place? I, I think it's somewhat natural, although it hurts, uh, when a parent passes away. That's kind of a, a natural thing. It's unbearable when a child dies. Now, I've done funerals for babies that were six years old, 14 days old, 30 days old. I've attended funerals for young. I, it's, the mo- it's the most heart-wrenching thing in the world, and there's a special place of prayer for parents who have lost children. I, I, it's unspeakable. I, I can't, there's no words that, that would condole, uh, console. But when a, a fam of sibling passes away, and you're still fairly young, at least you think you're young, you hope you're young, uh, there's a sense of mortality that takes place. Hey, this is, we're born of the same mother and father. Mike had a massive heart attack. He was 63 years old, young, in shape, two years from retirement, uh, had good plans for retirement. And I sat stunned, silent in our room. And I wonder if Mary wasn't this way, where she remained seated, maybe silent, maybe stunned in the house while Jesus was calling for Martha. And the Bible says this, and we don't have it in our text, that the Jews came to console Mary and Martha. And I think they mean well, and this is the well-meaning people. I think they meant well. I think this was really good. People mean well when they come to console you. But the Bible says that Jesus told Martha to go tell Mary to come here. So, in other words, it wasn't time for her to sit anymore. It now it was time for her to get up. She had to go to the master. When Jesus tells you it's not time to sit anymore, he's got some plans for you. And so, where they started to console her, the Jews, Jesus, I think, was getting ready to commission her to be a champion that, that he had for her. And why is that? Because I'm going to walk you through a process where we don't read any more about Lazarus and we don't read any more about Mary. One time we read about Lazarus, and that's when they were in the, the house, Simon Leper's house together, and the Jews were waiting outside to kill Jesus. And the Bible says, and they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Why? To kill his testimony. The enemy wants to kill your testimony in life. The enemy wants you to think that Jesus hasn't done anything for you. He's not going to do anything for you. He's not doing anything right now. If it was up to God, if it was up to Jesus, everything would be a happy place. No, we call that heaven. Since the fall, we have to endure some things, but Jesus is on your side. Amen? So hear me. So something happens in Mary's life. So we're, 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 uh, the Jews came to console. I think Jesus came to commission a champion. And I'll, and I'll tell you this. So a couple of days later, all right, they're at Simon the leper's house. Now, if you read the three, uh, the three gospels where they talk about Simon the leper's house, they're having a party. And we know that there's at least 17 people there. Are you with me? Jesus and the 12 disciples are 13. That makes 13. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are 16. And then Simon the leper makes 17. Now, there's probably more. Simon's probably married. There's probably other guests involved. But there's at least 17 people at the house. And the Bible says here that Jesus was reclined. 
I like that. Don't you like that? It means he's at ease. But it's six days before the Passover in which he's going to die. And so there's 17 people in the house, and we're talking about a who's who of people. Like Peter walked on water. The 12 disciples were commissioned to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and they did. And they came back with testimony. Simon, by the way, was a leper. Are you with me? And then all of a sudden, we, we see where Lazarus was raised from the dead. But it's Mary, no longer seated, silent, or stunned, the Bible says, she gets up and she grabs an alabaster box. <laughs> And she breaks that box open, and she dumps it at Jesus' feet. Now, she's not sitting anymore. No, she's wiping his feet with her hair. And, she, and the Bible says that this was about 300 denarii or years with the wages, but it goes deeper than that. This was her 401K plan. This was her pension. This is, they would buy these for retirement so they could cash them in later in life and they could sell the, the spices, the spikenard, the ointment. They can sell the different things. And so we read now, this is Mary. Now this is just two or three days after Lazarus is raised from the grave where now she's not silent or stunned anymore. She's certainly not seething. She's breaking open an alabaster box and she's allowing herself authentic worship for the king of kings. That's important, church. That's important. But listen, it doesn't stop there. Now we move to the cross. And we, and we see the, the people at the foot of the cross are Mary, the mother of God, John, his beloved, and, and we have Mary, now we have this Mary again, Mary Magdalene, of which seven demons were cast out. In fact, some scriptures refer to her as the prostitute. See, even though she wasn't socially accepted, Christ accepted her. And I'm going to tell you today, it doesn't matter what society says about you. It matters what Jesus says about you. It will always matter what Jesus says about you. The 12 disciples, Judas already hanged himself for, for committing, turning Christ over. The other 11, they ran. They hid. But here we have the mama. Or actually, we have John there, so 10 ran. And then we have Mary Magdalene, Magdala, the prostitute, the harlot. The one who Jesus delivered. She's not sitting silent and stunned anymore. Now she's at the cross. She broke open the alabaster box, but now she's kneeling at the cross of Jesus. And she's recognizing who Christ is. Now it doesn't end there. Now we go to that Sunday morning. So three days later, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. In Jewish culture, a part of any day is counted as a day. So that some will say, well, how can Jesus be three days in the grave? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. On the third day, he did what? He rose again. Mary and Mary of Salome, Mary Magdala, Magdalene and Mary Salome, they're going to the grave. They're going to the tomb. And all of a sudden, they ask each other, who should we, how are we going to get the tomb removed? We have spices to lay on. And they go there, and the tomb's rolled back. And all of a sudden, there's a big angel sitting on top, a man clothed in white. Whom do you look for? He is not here. He is risen. Look at the transformation of Mary. The disciples ran. They hid. Mary's breaking open an alabaster box. She's not sitting still anymore. She's at the cross, crying at the feet of Jesus. The disciples aren't there. They ran. Now she's at the tomb on that resurrection day. Now she's, now she's standing at an empty tomb wondering, wait a second, is what he said still real? 
Is what he said. Is he alive? Yes, he's alive. The angel said he's alive. And so now she leaves the tomb and she goes into the garden. And John professes it this way, that as she's walking through the garden, she supposes that she sees the gardener. And the gardener says, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, meaning master. Yes, Mary, it is I. And she reaches for Mary, and John records Jesus saying this, Mary, don't touch me yet. I have not seen. I have not ascended yet to my Father in heaven. So where she was seated in stunned silence before, now she's, she's, she's breaking open alabaster box and kneeling at, kneeling at Christ's feet. She's kneeling at the cross. She's standing at an empty tomb, and now she's looking at Christ in the garden where nobody else is around. And Jesus says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm a, I have risen. And so now she's running to the hideout where they're hiding out, these great men of God, hiding out, letting a woman do the work. <laughs> I'd appreciate a women's conference, wouldn't it? Thank you, women. Give our women a hand of appreciation. Thank you, women, for sometimes doing what we forget to do or don't know to do or are too afraid to do. So now she runs and tells Peter and John, only Peter and John, they don't necessarily believe her because she's a woman, had seven spirits cast out of her. She's a prostitute, a harlot. And yes, she was hanging on to Jesus and she was seated, seated silently stunned when her brother passed away. But because Jesus spoke life into her and called her a champion, now all of a sudden she's shown up at every different event. She tells them, Peter and John run to the tomb. They see an empty tomb. And by the way, sidebar, in the empty tomb, they see Jesus' headdress and covering folded over in a corner, nice and neat. Now, Jewish culture would say this, when you're dining with them at that specific time some 2,000 years ago, and you crumble up your napkin and put it on the plate, that means you're all done eating. But when you fold that napkin up and you put it on the plate, that means you're not done. You're going to return for more. The napkin that was on Jesus' head was folded, meaning he's going to come back for a church without spot or real. He's coming back for a church that's so fired up and jacked up for him that they can't wait to meet him in the air. Peter and John see that. Mary already knows it. She's gone to the alabaster box. She's gone to the cross. She's gone to the tomb. She's seen him in the garden. She's gone to the disciples to, to witness to them. He's alive. He's alive. And then on day number uh, 40, she goes into the upper room with them. 48 days by my count, not counting the 10 days in the upper room, Mary is in these different places. Why? Because she chose not to be consoled by the Jews. She chose to be commissioned by the Christ. And when you choose to be commissioned by Christ Jesus, hear me, this is amazing. When you choose to be commissioned by Christ, you can't sit still any longer. It's impossible. It's, it's, it's just a phenomenon that takes place. When you choose to remove excuses and remove invitation and remove the, uh, the, the chatter and remove the doubters in, in your life, even from well-meaning people who are saying, hey, you know, I think you're just a little radical. Like, I think, I think, I think this is really good, Pastor, but, like, let's, don't get us too fired up. We, we might actually start believing that. <laughs> like, we might actually start laying hands on the sick. I say, do it in Jesus' name. Do it in Jesus' name. 
Let me give you a rundown really quickly before the worship team comes back of what I think these symbols really mean. Because I think, I think here's the deal. Maybe we're not Lazarus. Maybe we're not coming out of the grave. All right, it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. Jesus did say, greater works will you do, another than more than. But there is every person here has the opportunity to become Mary. Where we were seated, silently, stunned in our room, not coming out. God, why did you let this happen? We're letting people console us because misery loves company and everybody's in this together. And as long as you don't have a job and I don't have a job, we can talk about the government, we can talk about the president, we can talk about this. Who's going to make it better? Who's going to make it worse? And we can talk about it. But when you stand forward and say, wait a second, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I got a God on the other side that loves me and looks out for me and looks over me. When you decide I can be a champion in Christ, I'm commissioned by the King of Kings. I'm going to do what God's told me to do. Then you have an alabaster box. An alabaster box, if you're writing it down, that means worship. Then your worship becomes true. You have an alabaster box that you can break open every Sunday or over day. Father, I'm going to worship you. And from the alabaster box, you have a cross, and that cross becomes authentic sacrifice. Yes, this may cost you something. It's going to cost you something you have to sacrifice. It may be family. It may be career. It may be, uh, it may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be whatever it may be. But if you ask Jesus, Lord, I want to sacrifice at the foot of the cross those things you want me to, those things you tell me to, then I will. And then there's a tomb that's authentic resurrection. That's the redemptive power of Christ Jesus. That's when we recognize that Jesus redeemed us. Now I'm restored. There's, there's a resurrection power. Then it's the person in the garden. That's authentic personality. That's the person of Jesus, and we have to accept him personally. A mother or a father can't do that for us. A friend, a pastor, a, a preacher, a priest can't do that for us. We have to accept Christ personally, and we can do it like that. Jesus, I accept the work that you've done on the cross for me. I receive you into my heart. In Jesus' name, you know what the Bible says? You're saved. You're a Christ follower. You're born again. And then from the, from the garden and the personal nature, she goes to the disciples. And in the disciples, she talks about her testimony. She's a witness, the Bible says, that Christ is now alive. And no matter if it's our neighbors, our family members, our friends, no matter if it's a, a co-worker, no matter if it's someone we come in contact with, if we can just share the good news of Jesus Christ. We were at the park downtown the other day with uh, Janie and I had a nice meal. Uh, we went to a new restaurant in town. It was a great meal. And then we, it's not too far from uh, the downtown campus. And so we wanted to go over and look at the downtown campus. And they're getting ready. They're putting floors in. They're getting ready for carpet. It's just, it's amazing. It's looking really good and really cool. And and then we saw Marcus and Charity, our son and daughter-in-law, show up with Selah and, and Judah. And so they got out, and they came in, and we were walking around. And they were going to go to the, the little park uh, uh, in the square there. And so we were going to go over there. Selah said to, to Grammy, uh, you, will you please go to the park with us? And that was all she wrote. You know? Yeah, we were, I don't care what was on the agenda. Everything was going to change from that point on. We were going to the park with uh, Selah and Judah. And so we went over and hung out with them. There was another family playing at the 
the park. And uh, so I went over and talked to the, the father. And I said, hey, y'all from here? And he told me where, where he lived. And uh, j- just a really nice guy. And, and so I said, do, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, yeah. And, and so I said, well, praise God. That's good. I said, we, we belong to uh, the church that... that um, is, is putting another campus around the corner. He said, oh, and you guys have property on 40, and you're over here, this and that. I, I heard all about your, your church, and I didn't tell him I was a pastor. I just said, yeah, I, we go there. We're, we're part of that church. And, and uh, it was just, I was going to invite him to the downtown campus, but he had a church, and I do not believe in taking people away from a church that they're happy with. So, church, if you ever invite someone that's happy in their church, shame on you. Amen. We, there's enough people out there that if they're that don't go to church anywhere that we should be inviting to church. If they're happy in their church, let them go. Just encourage them. So I encourage them to to get in their church. But it was it was just this testimony. It was this witness. We hadn't been able to knock on doors for seven months now, and I I was just itching to be able just to to share with these people the love of God, and they already knew the love of God. So it was great. And then so that's the witness part. And then the upper room. That's the Holy Spirit part. Listen, when they got the Holy Spirit, they got this power. They were endued, the Bible says, with power from on high. And when you become a Christ follower, there's so much more power that you can get from the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much more power in your life that God will give you. And when you look at when Mary came to Jesus, he did not want to console her, and I'll tell you why. The Jews were consoling her. You console somebody because of a loss, right? You console somebody because of a defeat. You console somebody because they, they lost something or they, because they're, they, you know, it didn't work out the way that you, they wanted or that they needed. That's consoling somebody. But Jesus knew because of the glory of God, verse 4, chapter 11 of the book of John, that this thing was going to work out for God's glory. So he was no way was he consoling Mary or Martha. He was trying to put a champion quality in them that said, you're a victor, you're an overcomer, you're more than a conqueror, you're a joint heir with Christ Jesus and church. He's still trying to do that today. Stand with me right where you're at. Because you are. You're a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're a victor. You you are what Jesus calls you. You're not what society calls you. You're not what your past calls you. You're not what defeat calls you. You're not what the people that that say you're never going to make it, it's never going to work out. You're not any of those things. You are a true champion in Christ Jesus. Now you have to accept that. You have to speak authoritatively to it. I'm going to remove doubt in my life. I'm going to remove cheap imitation from my life. I'm going to remove excuses from my life. And I'm going to become just like Mary did where Lazarus, yes, was healed, but I think Mary was changed. Six times over the next 48 days, we see her in about seven different scriptures talking about showing up. No longer is she seated, silent, or stunned in her house. Now she's sharing the good news of the gospel, doing what the disciples were supposed to be doing the whole time. She had to go find them. Close your eyes and raise your hands if you're comfortable doing so. I want to pray for you. 
Father, I pray you release a merry spirit in this house today that we no longer sit on our hands. We no longer sit silent or stunned. We no longer sit waiting for somebody else to do it. Lord, we're going to do it. Father, we're not going to wait or accuse. We're not going to have excuses. We're not going to have blame. We're not going to have doubt. We're not going to have fear. Father, we're going to do it. Lord, you're raising up a generation of Marys. And yes, we all have a past like Mary did. Mary had seven demons rebuked from her. She was a, she, she was a person in the world. She did things that she shouldn't have thought had done. But the Lord, you came in and you rescued her. And you're rescuing people right here within the sound of my voice. You're rescuing them right now from, from Lord, what pit they might be in to make them a champion to serve you, to live for you, and to profess Christ for you. So I pray, Lord, you release that Holy Spirit. Lord, release that spirit that uh, you released in Mary that day that changed her life forever. Uh, Lord, would you change our lives forever? Would you heal those that are sick? Lord, would you raise up those that were down? Lord, would you encourage those people that are suffering? But most of all, would you recognize, let them recognize, Lord, they don't need to be consoled. They need to be commissioned into being the champion that they are in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise as we worship one more time. God bless you.
alabaster box. And the woman with the alabaster box is, is probably one of my absolute favorite um, stories in the Bible to speak on, to talk on, because it's about worship. And worship is just my heart. And I know it's, you know, it's Grace Church as well. But I love the part where it talks about where she took her hair down. And, and in, the, in the times of the Bible times, a woman's hair um, exemplifies your glory. And so when she took that down, she was saying, I'm just going to dry it with my hair because my glory is as a filthy rag. I can pick up a rag and I can dry his feet and wash his feet. But if I use my hair, it's saying all of any glory that would come to me is nothing. And that's how we see miracles. And I believe that's what happens when we see miracles and the miracles we've talked about is if when you see a miracle happen and a testimony happens to God be the glory everything just give him praise give him worship when that happens just say you know what it's not about me it's just about God it's just about his glory it's about him and when we do that we just declare that his greatness because to God be the glory and the power forever amen so that's that's where that whole thing comes into the the Lord's prayer into the glory but what an incredible word so I love that but I love talking about miracles we've seen so many miracles in our life we have experienced miracles we have had miracles happening down in our um, campus down in uh, sunny valley um, people we've just heard miracles happen it's a small group but miracles are happening but instantly when it happens god be the glory god be the glory so if you're praying for something um you just say to God be the glory. Um, we had a friend, um, Marvin's son is a walking miracle, should not be alive, should not even have brain stuff going on, but he can drive a car and he can walk and he can do all kinds of stuff. But it was not, um, as soon as it was healed, it was to God be the glory, to God be the glory. So when you're praying for a miracle, instantly just say to God be the glory, to God be the glory, amen? And watch it happen. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for your amazing word. We thank you, Lord, for this series. Lord, we pray that it would just continue to be in our spirits, in our heart, and change our life. And Lord, when we do see miracles happen, instantly we're going to say, to God be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. We love you so much. Have an awesome day. Happy Labor Day tomorrow. Be blessed and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.